Um, let's go ahead and let's pray. And then uh, if you have your Bibles, um, go ahead and open up to Romans chapter 5. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that we can come here and hear your word. And Lord, I ask specifically that um, as, as I share from your word, that it be, it be your words. Lord, I ask for that in Jesus' name. Grow us in the faith. And let us see, Jesus, let us see you in truth. And I pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, let me fix my hair. Okay. Um, this morning, we're going to be taking a look at Romans chapter 5, verses 6 to 11, which are the verses that preceded Dr. David last week. And if I give a title to this sermon, it's going to be basically the Father's heart and the compassion of the Lord Jesus. Now, I do want to say this. If you're in church a long time, you hear the gospel a lot, or you should. And it's very easy for things to become old. We must always guard our hearts that when it comes to the cross and the compassion of the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, that we never let our hearts grow hard to hearing it. Let me explain something to you that um, recently I was reminded of. Revelation versus illumination. Okay? Revelation is what we have in the Word of God. It has been revealed to us. And I'm a historian by, by trade. And in history, you always want primary sources to begin. You want, you want to, when you, read, when you look at history, you... You've got to look at the people that were there. Good research. I mean, you want to hear from, you know, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, whoever. Whatever period of history you're talking from. And then you corroborate that with other eyewitnesses as you do the historical method. And their words begin to reveal what took place in the past. Well, I have good news for you. We have the greatest eyewitness in history named God. He was there at creation. He was there before. And he gave us his word because he is the eyewitness. The difference between him and all the other primary sources, he's infinite in his knowledge and wisdom. So we have the word of God, which means it is revealed to us by the person that knows everything and was there. And not only that, thought everything up. If you ever want to see a miracle from the Lord, open your eyes. You see, an artist will paint out of paints that are given. A sculptor will sculpt out of rock that was formed. God made all of this out of nothing. When you have the eyes of faith and you open your eyes and realize that all of this came from nothing out of the very mind and essence of who God is, you realize all you need to do to see a miracle is open your eyes. He is the master artist. He not only made the paints, and he painted. And revelation is extremely important, but there's a second kind. There's illumination. 
Now, illumination is when the revealed truth becomes part of us. Light bulb. The lights go on. What we mean by that is you've been illuminated. How many of you, well, I'm not going to show hands, but I bet you how many of you have heard something preached or read something in Scripture and later on in time, the lights went on. Because there's a principle. We're all being taught by the Spirit of God. And what you need to understand is the lesson will be made clear when the person is ready to learn it. You want to be taught by the Lord? You must be in a position to learn it. Oftentimes you say, why does God take so long to move? It's not that God doesn't want to move. It's that we're just not ready to hear. Now, I know this from all the reading I've done, but I also know this because of me. (laughs) Illumination is when the Spirit of God takes the revealed truth and it goes deep inside of you and it begins to change you. And am am I still on? Okay, so let me talk to you about the word repentance real quick. I'm not on? Test? Hello? Okay. And see, here's the thing. Um, Let's just get one thing straight. Um, I'm sure when the Apostle Paul and and all the saints of God taught throughout the ages that they always had technology problems. I mean, after all, we read about Paul and somebody fell asleep, fell out the window and killed himself. And Paul had to stop what he was doing and go, will you get up, please? You know, I mean, so... Anyway, but let me go back, let me go back to um, this point. Illumination is when the truth becomes part of us. This is how we learn. Now, we learn by process. We hear revelation and propositional truth, but then God has taken us through our individual lives so that we will be illumined and learn and grow closer to Him. And the word metanoia means... It's, it's the Greek word for repentance. It means to change one's mind. Now, I used to think that to change one's mind, let me put it this way, because words will fail me here. Repentance occurs instantly, but sometimes it takes time to bring us to the point in which our minds make that switch. The ground has to be plowed. The mind has to, does that make sense? And Even when we hear something that we've already heard before, we must remember to have soft hearts. This is the Word of God who is the primary source of all things. So all of that is to say, shall we begin? And we're going to look at starting with verse 6 of Romans chapter 5. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. We're going to take it line by line. So if we start out, we were without strength. Christ died for the ungodly. And we're going to look at the word ungodly here in just a second. But let's just put it, let's just get one thing very, very straight. You cannot fix and save yourself. 
As a historian, I teach all the major world's religions and philosophies. Um, as a Multnomah graduate, um, I studied them, and I will tell you this. What sets apart Christianity from any other faith or philosophy in the world is one thing, grace. You see, all the rest of them have this in common. Fix yourself. Pray five times. Pray enough. Do enough. And maybe you'll be good enough. Where scripture is quite clear, come as you are and I will make you good enough. Because the truth is, if my righteousness depended upon me, that's ball game. And I think we all would agree with that. Satan has counterfeited much in this world, but the cross stands out as grace. Now, we were without strength. We don't have a lot of strength. I mean, it, it, you know, we go downstairs and you see little kids bouncing off, off the wall and everything like that. And some of us remember when we could do that. Um, but even that, after a while, they're going to crash. Don't you wish sometimes you could sleep like you did when you were six? But we don't have a lot of strength. I mean, my heart's beating inside of me, but let's be all due respect. I can't control my heartbeat. And yet, if it stops beating, well, I'm going to have a spiritual experience. Does that make sense? Look, in the words of C.S. Lewis, because I've always got to bring him in, face the facts. We have very little power. I was reminded of an Oscar Wilde quote recently that when I was young enough, I knew everything. Even when you're young and you think you know everything, that just shows you know nothing. And even on our best days, without strength, Christ died for us. So that's the first point. Um, and he, and here, here's the thing. Let's go to verse 7. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. Okay, so Paul's doing something. Christ died for the ungodly. Okay, we're going to talk about that in just a second. So Paul then goes on, led by the Holy Spirit. Perhaps for a righteous man, somebody may die. Maybe a good man. You can find an example of that. But let me tell you something I've learned about human love. And I think you would agree with this. We will sacrifice ourselves for those that are close to us and are dear to us. But we're not as quick to do that for those we do not know, let alone our enemies. Uh, yes, you'll find parents will sacrifice for their children, but that's a natural instinct. That's their children. Even unbelievers do that. So maybe for a righteous man, maybe for a good person, but for the ungodly? But God demonstrates his own love towards us that while we were still sinners, Christ died 
for us. All right, now, let's talk about this for a second. The most famous verse in the Bible is John 3.16, correct? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Let's talk about ungodly first. Now, I want to read a couple of scriptures to you. And again, this is, this is not meant to at, at all... Um, well, it's not meant to, to do a guilt trip or anything like that, but let's define what ungodly is. Let's unpack that for a second, okay? Um, there are two passages of Scripture. There's more than two, but these two are very um, pinpointed on what human behavior is like um, in its fallen state. Last week, Dr. Davids talked about that all, all of us were in Adam. Does that make sense? Okay, we were all in Adam as a race. I mean, people tell me, you know, you know, in philosophy, they say, is human nature good, bad, or is it neutral? I've never, you know, I've never had to teach someone to lie. I mean, if you think about it, those of you that have had kids or around kids, here, let me sit down to you and teach you how to lie. When you do something you're not supposed to do, deflect. Blame it on your parents or somebody else. And if you can, turn it against the person who's accusing you, then they'll feel guilty and you'll get off. We know that by nature. Don't we? It's amazing. You want to talk about human nature? Watch kids. You have to teach them to be good. Now, in Galatians chapter 5, it says this. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Listen to this list, okay? Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. That's not even all conclusive. You know what I mean? Would, is that a pretty... Is that a gnarly list? Does that describe the world we live in? James chapter 3, it's ironic. When I was 24 years old, I preached a sermon on this for homiletics class. And homiletics class is the class to teach you how to preach. And I remember teaching this, and I mean, it was okay, but I didn't understand it. Now, years later, I think I do. It says this, James chapter 3, verse 13 through 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. Meekness. Humility. This wisdom, but if you have bitter envy, self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion in every single evil thing is there. I would argue that if you take envy and self-seeking, you will find that the list I read in Galatians, those things are the behaviors that flow from those two things.
self-seeking and envy. I'm jealous of you or I want to promote myself. So what do I do? I gossip. I'm hated. I'm jealous. I murder. I commit adultery. I'm selfish. Ambition. Um, dissension. Hair. Do you see it? James goes on, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, which means it does not, it applies everything equally, does not play favorites, and without hypocrisy. Do you see the difference? Now, now, the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Okay. Now, if we're honest with ourselves, I'm going to get to my first, what I would consider to be my, a really main point. When we fell, we became broken creatures. And... Human beings, by their very nature, what do we want inside? Well, I think here's a short list, but I think it, we would agree that these are things that we're all looking for. To feel important. I think most people would say, I, I would like to feel important. I would like to matter. To feel heard. I can't tell you how many times my wife has said to me, I just want to be heard. To feel valued. To fit in. To fit in. To not be excluded. That when a group of people to get together, you don't feel like you're on the outside. You don't feel like there's something wrong with you or somehow you smell or you don't look the way or this, that. You just want to be part of the group. You know what I mean? And you think this is just kids that do that? No, adults. We just got sophisticated and we hide it. We really do. To be held. To be held. To feel security. Security is an interesting word. It is the thought and the, the illumination in your spirit that you know everything will be okay. Despite of your circumstances. It will be what? Okay. Weeks ago I said only that can be found in the infinite Lord, to be loved. I think if we break things down, I think all of those things were broken at the fall. So kids, I, I'm a school teacher. I'll have kids come in. I'll meet them for the first time on Wednesday. Um, they're going to be really nervous and they want to fit in. No matter what confidence they put on. We want these things. 
We were made to have these things, folks. But they were made to be found in God. But we fell and we broke. And as we strive in this world to get these things, what do we do? We do things through selfish ambition and we do things out of the wrong motives and we end up hurting each other and hurting ourselves. And we have a world of compare and contrast of just nonsense. I'm prettier than you, therefore I fit in. Really? You won the genetic lottery and somehow you, that makes you better? That's foolishness. I'm smarter than you are. Okay, you know this more than I do. So what? I'm taller than you are. I'm thinner than you are. Do you, do you see the nonsense? And we think of ways to compare and contrast to make ourselves feel better because inside we're broken. And when we see someone else that has what we want, we attack. We subvert. We'll even make righteous names up for it. I'm doing this in love. We're broken. Now, that's in our flesh. If you're in Christ, you're a new creature. And God is teaching you how to live out. You do not have to worry about not being valuable. You are. Now, we live in a world where in order to fit in and feel valuable, we go about it the wrong way and we inflict pain on each other. And sometimes we inflict pain out of our own pain. But I want to suggest to you that when people sin, not only could they hurt others, but do you understand that they also are hurting themselves? Let's be honest. If I tear down another human being, I am, only, I am also damaging my own self. I'm in pain. I'm not secure in my own being, so therefore I'm doing this act. Does that make sense? We fell. We live in a fallen world. And then add to that, we have an enemy that wants to take our fallenness and put it on steroids. But yet, while the entire human race was like this, vile, vermin, Christ died for us. He died for you. He died for me. He died for all of us. Not for a righteous person. And not for good people. But for sinners. He died for us. He died for the sons of Adam and the daughters of Eve. Why? I'd like to stress this word. Compassion. 
when Jesus, what do we call the week before Jesus was crucified? We call it Passion Week, correct? The Latin word of passion really means to suffer. So what is compassion? It is to feel the suffering of others. Our Lord became one of us because he is compassionate. But think about this. Every single one of us in this room is trying to go through life in a fallen world with an enemy that hates our very soul. We want to fit in. We want to feel good. We want to do all. We want these things. Could we just have a little bit of compassion for each other? And love one another. It is the compassion of God is why Christ came. Now, verse 9, much more than... Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. I want to talk about this real quick because it's something what I would, what I, what I would consider something that needs to be understood. And in our day and age, what we've, this is what we've done. Okay, if you guys have been around in the church long enough, what you know historically we did, we did hellfire and brimstone preaching for a long time. Do you guys remember that? Okay, then in the 1990s, we, we pendulum swung towards the love of God. Does that make sense? And what we've done, we've gone from one extreme to the other. What I would like to do is sort of try to bring us back to what I think the truth is. Why is there eternal punishment for sin? Because God is love, but also in love is compassion. Does that make sense? But inside of love is also justice. You, look, you cannot take the attributes of God and create a theology on one attribute. You've got to take the whole thing, the whole counsel of God. You see, listen, I'm a school teacher. Let me get practical. No cell phones in the classroom. Why? Because they distract and they'll hurt and they make me really anxious because I can't, I got it, whatever, you got, you got it? So I come out with a thing, no cell phones. Why is it there? It's not because I'm a mean guy against technology. Come on, I have one in my pocket. Why? Because I know they're distracting. And if you don't learn the skills and, and how to think and reason, that could hurt you later on. Right? Let's say I have the rule and a couple of students don't keep it and I do nothing. What will happen? Lawlessness, chaos, and destruction. Not only that, is there a breakage of the law? Was there a real offense? Yeah, it's not a big deal, no cell phone, but is there a real offense? And if good doesn't step in and deal with it, then good means nothing and evil triumphs. You must understand that. You must understand that sin must be punished or good means nothing. 
Yet God in his compassion said what? I didn't make hell for the sons of Adams and daughters of Eve. I made it for Satan and the fallen angels. In my compassion, I'll send forth my son to free them from my justice because I'm compassionate. What is the cross? It is the compassion, love, and justice of God so that Jesus died for us, took our place, so that we are completely forgiven. And not only that, he will transform us and prepare us for an eternal kingdom. That is the best news I have ever heard. You mean I don't have to stay this way in this fallen world forever? Nope. Sign me up. You mean you love me exactly where I am? Yep. But what about this? I've done this. I thought this. I've done. Nope. Love you. But I've thought this. Oh, I know. I knew you were going to think it before you were born. <laughs> but there is no but. But Lord, I'm not perfect yet. You're a new creature now, and you're going to find out when the whole redemption process is, and I'm going to make you all new. Man, if that doesn't excite you, I know we've heard all this before. I know it's been preached here. But man, if that doesn't excite you, what will? You mean I'm forgiven for everything I thought, did, think? What? Mm-hmm. You mean I can lay my head tonight in peace and security? Uh-huh. I'm valuable? Uh-huh. But I don't look. I'm not, I'm not the best looking. doesn't matter. Folks, God must punish sin, but do you understand what the cross is? It is the compassion of God and the justice of God. God does not want you to know his justice. He wants you to know his grace. But he must punish sin. He will not force anyone to spend eternity with them. He gave us free will. Verse 10. For if we were enemies, oh, by the way, I want to, I had a note here, justified. What does the word justified mean? It simply means this, to become judicially vindicated as having complied with the requirements of the laws of God. You are what? Justified. Dr. David shared last week, there are 613 laws in the Old Testament, not 10. There are 613. And if you're in Christ, you have been justified, which means as far as when God looks at you, he sees Jesus and you will fulfill the law. Not guilty. But, nope, not guilty. But that's not fair. You're right, it isn't. But you don't want the fairness of God. You want the grace of God. But that's not fair. I've done, yeah. Jesus took it. Huh. You mean a perfect person gave his life for me? And I've done, uh-huh. Your Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. Because no one has ever loved me like that. Verse 10. For if we were enemies, 
For if when we were enemies, do you know the word enemies? Do you guys see it? Okay, listen, we live in a day and age, and, and, and again, we live in a day and age, you know, we, we somehow think God is a grandpa up there, and you know, he, everyone's a friend of God. And this, no, if you're in sin and lost, you are technically in a judicial place of being a, an enemy of God. That sounds harsh, but it's true. You're dead in your sins. But if you're in Christ, you're no longer an enemy. Watch this. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Do you know Jesus Christ is alive? We are saved. You know what reconciled means? To become restored to a favorable or friendly relation with another after a presumed wrong. Not only are you justified, you are reconciled. Verse 11, and not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Now, I want to illustrate, and then I'm going to move to the final parts here. Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. I want to read this, and would you just listen to this, and, and listen to this in light of the Romans passage. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from the slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. Even so, when we were children, we're in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of the woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoptions of sons. And because you are sons, children, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a child, a son. And if a son, then an heir, heir of God through Christ. The key word that I wanted to get there is Abba. I know it's a band from the 70s, but Abba. <laughs> it's just a hard word for me because of just my heritage as a human being. It means daddy. It's an informal Aramaic term used of God. At one point before we received Christ, we were called enemies. After Christ, we call God Abba, Daddy. Yes, reverence and everything like that in worship, but do you understand that God wants us to draw near to him? What is the heart of the Father? Reconciliation. He wants us to be with him. If he didn't, he wouldn't have sent the Son. He moved heaven and earth to make this possible. You. Have you ever seen a little child crawl up into their parents' lap? Isn't that a beautiful thing? Are they secure? Are they sleeping? They could, if they're sleeping, are they secure? Are they, are they worried? 
Oh, what Jesus Christ has done for us. Now, two things, and then I want to get to a, a story that illustrates this. Those of us that are in Christ, look, we've heard this before, but let's be very, very clear on something. It must be important. I'm moving up to the corner. Um, we need to share this with people. Folks, we need to share this with people. And let's just cut through the chase. Well, I'm not a good speaker. Neither was Moses. Do you know, folks, how many people are out there in our society that just want to be loved? That just want someone to say you're forgiven? And you know the beautiful thing about the cross? One of the things? Is it doesn't gloss over evil that's been done. It recognizes the truth. There's real justice in it, which means, yes, those things that were done, there must be justice. That's true. Therefore, the forgiveness must be real. God has reconciled us. Did you ever stop to think that of all the symbols of the world, first of all, let me tell you something about the Lord. He doesn't do things by chance. Let's take the cross, the symbol of the faith, right? Of all the symbols that God could have used to be the one that stands out, what is it? First, reconciliation with God. And then with each other. With love, compassion, and justice. Folks, let's be very clear. Our culture is so wrapped down with guilt that we've even developed a philosophy called postmodernism so that we won't even define guilt anymore. Or addiction, depression, anxiety. We hold the truth. You are forgiven of everything. We can share that. Does that make sense? And it's not a, oh, it's no big deal. No, Jesus died on the cross. It, it, it's forgiveness. The other thing, too, that I would say is forgive each other. Forgive each other. If I've been forgiven of so much, should I forgive others? So-and-so does something against me. If I just step back and I realize, Lord, that person may be dealing with something where they're just trying to feel important just like me. You know, the speck in my, the log in my own eye. Lord, I forgive them. Does that make sense? Now, I want to close with what would be one of my favorite stories in the Bible. They're all my favorite, but this one's my favorite. Um, <laughs> and I want to start with, it, it, it deals with a, a woman. And I want to illustrate something real quick um, with women in the Roman Empire. 
There was a book I read a few years ago called Who Is This Man? And it looked at Jesus from the historical standpoint of what he changed in history. And it blew me away because no other person in history that I know of was more revolutionary than Jesus. You see, we've lived with 2,000 years of his influence. What we need to understand is what he changed. Well, let me read to you just a quick section of this, of this book. Do a couple things real quick. In the ancient Greco world, there was a huge shortage of women. About 140 men for every 100 women. What happened to the other women? Do you understand that's a demographic issue? Okay. Here's why. By the law of Romulus in Rome, a father was required to raise all healthy male children, but only the firstborn female. Any others were disposable. According to the Greek poet Pisipidus, 3rd century BC, everyone raises a son even if he is poor, but exposes a daughter even if he is rich. In steps Jesus. One day Jesus was teaching, and as Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, Blessed is the mother who gave birth and nursed you. Someone was complimenting Jesus' mother. We would expect a polite reply. Instead, Jesus offered a sharp. We would expect a polite reply, thank you, my mom's the best ever. Oh, by the way, she was born of a virgin too. Instead, Jesus offered a sharp rebuttal. Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Jesus deliberately gave an edgy response. No, you're wrong. For Jesus, the highest calling of a woman was no longer to bear a child. Motherhood like fatherhood is a noble calling, but it's not the ultimate calling. If you don't have children, you have not missed out. Not on Jesus' call. Because the highest calling is to know God. Now folks, he said that in a world where you disposed of young girls at will. He changed everything. He said to 50% of humanity, your value is not what your body can do, but who you know. And you're as equal to the boys. Jesus Christ did more to elevate women than any person in history. He did more to elevate everyone in history. This notion of Jesus being polite and nice, you got to get that out of your head. He's a revolutionary. You know another thing he did? Fine, I'm off cue. That's fine. I'm, we get, we, just bear with me. I'm not that far from being. You want to know another thing he said? His disciples went to him and said, Lord, what will be the sign of your coming? 
You know what Jesus said? Now, you've got to understand, in the context, where is he? He's in the backwoods of Judea, in the backwoods of the Roman Empire. He really will not leave the, 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 the geographical area. He will not write a book, and he will not go on Instagram. Huh? And he's going to die at 33. And oh, and by the way, he didn't build anything. Okay, yes, he was a, yes, which reported he's a carpenter, but I mean big structures like Herod and Temple and all that, right? What did he say? Be careful that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Christ. Basically, I will be the most copied religious figure in world history at the end of the age. If you stop and think about that, that's an incredible statement. I'm going to be the biggest religious figure in history. Mic drop. If he's not God, that's arrogant. Well, wait a minute. What happened? Years 2022. <laughs> 2022. Why is year zero year zero? Jesus of Nazareth. By golly, he did change history. In fact, everybody on the planet runs the dating system. Even those who use an alternative one, everyone knows it's 2021. Two. So not only did he elevate women, he changed the dating system. Folks, you've got to understand, to a non-believer, the, the main purpose of history is learn from it so you don't make mistakes. To the believer is to look back and see the grace of God, both in his coming and both in our individual lives. He is the central piece of all history. And by the way, his coming back is going to be on the calendar too. Now, he said to women, even in another place, remember Mary and Martha? Mary's out there sitting at Jesus' feet, soaking up, and Martha's back there working in the kitchen, and Martha comes out, Jesus, will you tell my sister Mary to get her behind in here so that she can do what I'm doing? Because culturally, that's what we do. And Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you're worried about so much. Mary has chosen what's better. Why don't you have a seat? Where was Mary? I'm going to learn from Jesus, just like the boys. And Jesus says, that's right. Because you know what? You're just as equal to them. my favorite story. Simon the Pharisee invited Jesus over to have break bread. And they're there. And at this time, if you, if you were doing a meal like this, it was wide open. In that culture, they don't, it's warmer there. Can I just leave it at that? Um, where you could see what's going on and go in. So Jesus is sitting there. And, and in comes this woman. You know the story, some of you. 
with the alabaster perfume and she gets down at Jesus' feet and she just starts bawling, right? Not, not little tiny, oh, I think I got, no, I'm talking the crocodile tears. You guys know what I mean by that? Have you ever cried where you couldn't hold it back? Okay. Crocodile tears. She's down there. And why is she at his feet crying? Because she knows she's a what? She knows she's a sinner. She knows she is broken and has sinned and this and that. And finally, what did she hear? That somebody, that this religious figure is different. Not only does he like women, but he also forgives sins. I'm taking everything I have and I'm going to go lay at his feet. It's my last hope. Now, do you understand something, what I just told you about the day and age? Women weren't part of the religious ceremony, so she's breaking so many taboos, it's not even funny. I mean, wedding crasher? No, no, no. She's doing far worse than that. And there's Simon the Pharisee. And he, you know, Scripture tells us, if this man was a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is. Must not be a prophet. And Jesus looks around at the situation and says, Simon, I have something to say to you. And Simon, uh, God, give him credit here. He says, say it, teacher. Simon, there were two people. One owed an exorbitant amount and the other owed 20 bucks. And I'm paraphrasing. And the guy forgives them both. Simon, which one will love him more? Simon thinks about it. This one's not complicated. I suppose the one who was forgiven more. Simon. <laughs> oh, you're right. Oh, and by the way, Simon, when I walked in here, you didn't provide any oil for my head. You didn't wash my hands. You didn't clean my feet. But this woman... She's done all these things and more. Why? Listen to Jesus' words. Therefore I say to you, Simon, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? God. Then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in shalom. Go in peace. She came with nothing to lose and left with the kingdom. I opened up by talking about the difference between revelation and illumination. Do you remember that? Revelation is the revealed word of God. Illumination is when it becomes part of us. All of us have been forgiven so much.
Ask the Lord some time to reveal how much he's forgiven you. And I want to tell you this. If you've lost the joy of your salvation, can that happen to us believers sometimes? Then go back to the basics and remember what the Lord has done. Noodle it. Dwell on it. Remember. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved us. I once and now I was and now I see. It was the Father's heart to send His Son. He wants us. It was the Lord's passion to make it so. And by the Holy Spirit, we are illumined and taught the truth. This is the best news I've ever heard. So noodle it, pray. Realize what the Lord has done. Realize that the meaning of history is Christ. All the other stuff, it's good for jeopardy. Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. It is not what you know that matters in this universe. It's who you know. Amen. And He loves you so much. He knows everything. If you do not know him, just find an elder, find somebody and just say, I need a savior. I need someone to hold me. I need to be forgiven. And he will be born again. If you're a believer, Lord, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Lord, help me to share this with others. Evangelize. People are dying. Lord, if I have bitterness towards my brother, you saved me and reconciled me, I will forgive them and reconcile them because that's your wisdom. So as the... We're going to pass out the elements now for communion. Since I was also on communion this morning... Um, I'm just going to talk as we do this and just say that I, if there's anyone here that ever thinks that God cannot or God will not forgive you, He will. All you have to do is what? Ask. Jesus said it very clearly in John 6.37. All that the Father draws will come to the Lord. And anyone that comes unto me, Jesus said, I will never, in no way, Jose, drive away.